Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. So next Sunday, we'll be praying for the children as they go back to school and for the teachers even more fervently who are part of our church family who will be with them. Uh, most of you know we, we, had, we, we raised two children. Um, one of the things we were kind of, uh, it was just the way of life then, was we, we felt that when they came to a certain age, they could actually take responsibility for some of the things that needed doing around the house. So we used to get them to do that. And in fact, when... Um, I don't know what age they were, but it became the routine that at dinner time, once dinner was over, our daughter and our son, they were then responsible for clearing everything away, washing the dishes. We lived in the dark ages before we had a dishwasher, washing the dishes, drying the dishes, putting the dishes away. That's what they did. They did that for years until actually our Charlotte went to college and then our son Jonathan was left uh, and he had a major complaint he took to the union that he said, uh, you know, he said, I'm doing the dishes all by myself now, and it's not right. And that's when we got a dishwasher. Anyway, so <laughs> it was really well. So we get them involved in stuff. One of the other things from when they were very young was we'd say to them, one of them, you know, could you just get the table all set ready for dinner? And they put the stuff out and put the silverware out and whatever else. And, uh, and it became a standard thing that when one of the kids was setting the table, Sorry, let me explain here. In, in, in England, um, where we do things properly, right, we eat dessert with a dessert spoon, not with a fork. You'll get the hang of it if you try. All right, so, we, we, so, so they would, when the kids were, were setting the table very often, they would set a dessert spoon out. Now, we didn't have dessert on a regular basis. But those dessert spoons became known as hope spoons. Why'd you put that there? That's the hope spoon. They were hoping there was going to be dessert that evening. You know, the Bible says a lot about hope, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the miracle of hope. But I'm not talking about hoping you'll get dessert today. I mean, I hope you do, and I hope I do. But anyway, I'm not talking about that. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something far more concrete. In fact, when the Bible talks about hope, it isn't just a case of a, you know, like a wish for something. The Bible's hope is talking about trusting something, someone we don't see, but absolutely fervently believing that things are going to be the way God said they would be. In fact, it says this in the book of Hebrews. It says, our hope is the anchor for our souls. What keeps us firm in our faith is the fact that we have a hope in God that is a very real hope. So I want to look at one verse in the Bible today. It's in the book of Romans, and it's in chapter 15 and verse 13. Romans 15 and verse 13. So it says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'd love for you to get a hold of this verse today. We are going to read that together. Are you good for that? Okay, so let's go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer for these Christians in Rome was that the God of hope would fill them with all peace, all joy. But that's only half the verse. May the God of peace fill you with all joy and peace. And if we just took that at face value, and that's great by itself. May God fill you with all joy and all peace so that, you know what, so that you feel good and so that you feel encouraged and so that you feel strong and, and so that you feel just, just as, as if you are totally set for everything God's got for you. But that's not the end of the verse. He prays that God would fill them with all peace joy and all peace, not just for their own sake, he says, so that you then may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there'd be an overflow of hope from your life that would touch the lives of other people. How many of you know God didn't just call us to himself for our own good? But once we are connected to the Lord, the fact is God wants us to be a blessing to other people. And that's the prayer here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, it talks about how these people were before they knew God. It says, remember that at that time you were without hope and without God in the world. And we were. When we had no connection with God, the fact is we were without hope. To be without God is to be without hope. To trust God is to have hope. There was a time when we were without God and we were therefore without hope in this world. So you know what? Hope and God come together. In fact, Romans 15 just describes for us the origin of hope. And the origin of hope is this. It starts in God. The God of hope. The God of hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul's introducing himself to Timothy and whoever else might read this letter, and he describes himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Where does hope come from? Hope comes from God. Christ is our hope. Romans 15 and verse 33 speaks about God, and he describes him as the God of peace. May the God of peace be with you all. What's God like? How is God? And the truth is, most of us in the course of our early life developed a distorted concept of what God's like. Now, it may have been our parents, may have been pastor, may have been the priest, it might have been the nuns in Catholic school. But a lot of us early in life got a really distorted picture of what God's like. 
after three and a half years of being with Jesus. The Bible tells us in John chapter 14 that Philip had a question for him. Philip said, Master, show us the Father, then we'll be content. And Jesus said, you've been with me all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand me? To see me is to see the Father. So how can you ask, where's the Father? Philip says, show us what the Father's like. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now think about that for a minute. If you want to get a right picture of what God's like, think about Jesus. And I, I, I wrote down here some of the words that I felt describe Jesus as we see him in the Gospels. And remember, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's just like this too. And I wrote these down, friendly, sincere, caring, concerned, generous, giving, forgiving, pitying, merciful, understanding, dependable, honest, loyal, sympathetic, supportive. I'll stop there because we've got to finish at a certain point today. But those are adjectives that, that, that well describe Jesus, don't they? And Jesus said, look, you know, if, if, you, if you want to know what the Father's like, the Father's just like I am. God is the God of hope. Hope originates in God. So many times we just get the wrong idea of how God is. When I was in my junior and senior years at high school, I, I worked in a, a restaurant in, in my home city of Exeter. It was called Lion's Tea House. There we go. We did not have color in those days. We lived black and white lives. <laughs> That's Lion's Tea House in the city of Exeter. It's a very old building, as you can see. And uh, at the front, it was a, a, a bakery, a shop, where you could buy all kinds of cakes and breads and stuff. And then you went through to the, the restaurant area. And in my junior, senior high school years, I used to work there every Saturday and uh, an evening or two a week. And uh, I, was the, I was the grill chef, and that's what I did. So I did all the uh, hot food and took care of that. And uh, I enjoyed the job. There were three different manageresses to the store, and they were different people, very different people. So every Saturday, it was a case of going in, and I guess they rotated doing Saturdays, of going in and seeing who was on today. Mrs. Woods was, you couldn't tell. She seemed a little kind of strict and severe, but then some of the days she'd be good and she was, you know, she'd be happy and everything was fine and she wasn't a pain, you know? And, and then there was, there was Mrs. Woods, I've written down the names, I forgot. Miss Mitchell, she was a tiny, petite lady. Miss Mitchell was a gem. You could do whatever you wanted. It was great there when she was managing so her days off were, were fantastic. But then there was Miss Masson. Miss Masson had been a sergeant in the army. And she still, you know, she, 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 you know, she carried herself very straight, very much. And when you, you know, 
She was in charge of the restaurant. And there was no doubt that she was in charge. Everything had to be absolutely right. And so, you know, every Saturday morning, I'd go in, and then I'd look around to see who's on today. You never knew. Some people think the Trinity is a bit kind of schizophrenic like that. It's like God the Father is the scary one we're afraid of. Jesus is cool. He's our man. And then the Holy Spirit, we can't really fathom out. Like, you know, is he a friendly Casper or what? We don't really, we haven't really sorted out the Holy Spirit. And it's like you've got these three different, very different figures. And, and yet the truth is you haven't. God's one in three, God's three in one. But Jesus said very clearly, here's what we're like. Here's how the Godhead is. Here's how the Father is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you know what? You don't need to spend your life looking over your shoulder thinking God's looking to punish me. You don't have to kind of wonder if you're really worthy of what God wants to give you and what he wants to bless you with or whether he would bless you because God does want to bless you because God is a good God because God is the person who... who, who has lavishes his gifts upon us. God is the God of hope. And as I was thinking towards this morning, I was very simply praying that the God of hope would fill you with joy and peace here this morning. And that some of you are more aware of needing that at this time than others. So I want to start by reminding you that God is the God of hope. God is with us, and God is for us. The origin of hope is God. And then this verse tells us what it then is the outcome of hope. When we connect with God, what happens? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So actually, the God of hope is the God who can fill us with all joy and with all peace. Not just make us cheerful, not just give us a little bit of peace. The prayer is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. With all joy and peace. When I started going to church where I eventually found the Lord, uh, I was about 11 years old. They had two Sunday services, the morning and the evening. I started going to both services. Sunday night's sermon always would be angled towards inviting those who didn't yet know Christ to give their lives to Jesus. And the pastor would preach, and he was a great preacher. The pastor would preach, and then as he finished his sermon, it was like, okay, let's Let's all pray together. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, I want you to raise your hand. And and I would be sitting there with my head down a bit and my eyes open enough to see if anybody was putting their hand up. But there was a tussle going on inside me. I'm 11 years old, and I'm thinking, if I give my life to Christ... There's a lot of things I've got to give up. I was a wicked sinner at 11. 
you would not believe the depths of degradation I had sunk into in 11 years on this earth. But that was my mindset. It's like, well, I'd have to stop this, and I'm going to have to stop that. And, and you know what? I wrestled that Sunday night after Sunday night after Sunday night for months. That if I give my life to Jesus, then there's a bunch of stuff I really enjoy that I'm going to have to give up, and I'm going to have to leave behind. And I'm 11. I don't want to be a monk. And I had no concept of the fact that actually you find life and you find joy when you find Jesus. Isn't that the truth? And the fact is every single one of us here today who knows Christ would attest to the fact that, you know what, we haven't given up or left behind anything that was really of lasting value, but actually what we have found in Jesus is way more significant, thank God. The God of hope fill you with joy. Happiness and hope go hand in hand. The God of hope fill you with joy. You know what, life isn't always going to be happy, but the fact is this, we can, we, we can have a, a, a joy within that's part of the foundation of who we are. Psalm 146 in verse 5 says this, happy are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Happy are those who have the God of Israel as their helper. I love that because that's a description of followers of Christ, those who believe in God. Happy are those people. And, and you know what? Some, sometimes we've got to be careful the impression we give because so often people have got the idea from Christians that we are just totally negative, basically thoroughly miserable human beings. And the fact is, if there's one thing that ought to define us, that verse points it out. And that verse says, those who've got God as their helper should be happy people. Yeah? How you doing with that? I can't see your faces, but I've got the idea you're doing pretty good with that so far, yeah? yeah. Happy. Joy and peace come from having the hope that God gives. That's why God's people should be the happiest people on earth, right? You know, who should be the happiest people where you work? You should be the happiest people where you work. You say, well, you don't work where I do. No, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. We should still be the happiest people that are there. You get together with some folks today maybe for this event or that event that summer seemed to be full of. And you know what? You should be the happiest of the people there because the fact is the God of hope it fills us with joy and fills us with peace. In Jesus' day, they, they were praying for a Savior to come and they were thinking that the Savior would overthrow the Roman government that was over them and would set up his own kingdom. And as Jesus began to preach and to help and to heal and to perform miracles, some people were wondering, okay, well, when are you going to take over? And he made a statement in Luke 17 to try to clarify it for them. Luke 17 and verse 21, Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God is within you. He didn't come to set up a earthly kingdom. He didn't come to reign on a throne over some territory or people. Jesus came so that he would be the king in the lives of the men and women who came to him. 
Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is within every one of us who has trusted Christ. And then in Romans 14, it describes the kingdom of God that's within us. And it says this, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Now, let me define that very, because some of you might misunderstand that. So, as I said earlier, we eat quite well here at Genesis, and that's good. What this is saying is there were people in, there were people in New Testament times who had a bunch of rules and regulations about what you should eat and you shouldn't eat, what you should drink, what you shouldn't drink. And, and, and people who came from a background of Judaism had all their rules and all their restrictions, and they thought you showed how godly you were by how well you adhered to the rules. And Paul's telling them here, listen, the kingdom of God isn't about what you eat and what you drink. Here's what the kingdom of God's about. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where God's the king, people will do the right thing. Where God's the king, people will experience God's peace. And where God's the king, people will live with God's joy in their hearts. That's what the kingdom of God is about. The outcome of hope is that we have the joy that God gives to us. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You haven't seen Jesus, but you trust him, and your trust in Jesus fills you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. One of the things that's so important here on a Sunday morning, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, is this. When we come to worship, we come to refocus. Because we can be driving into the parking lot with all kinds of things going through our minds and all kinds of anxieties and worries and thoughts about what's happening now and what might happen in the future. And then we come in and we refocus on God who is the God of hope. And as we refocus on the God of hope, He fills us afresh with His joy and with His peace. With an inexpressible and glorious Joy. Joy should characterize God's people. Someone said to me a week or two ago, I'm glad you're back. We missed your humor. Well, it's good to be missed for something, isn't it? <laughs> I enjoy life and you enjoy life. We laugh a lot here at Genesis and that's okay because God's filled us with a, with, a, with a glorious joy. We enjoy God. We're not scared of him. We enjoy each other. God's connected us with like-minded people. And what a treasure that is. We enjoy what we do. We are absolutely dead serious about what we're doing, but we enjoy what we're doing. The God of hope fill you with all joy. Now, I must confess that on occasions I talk to myself. All right, I'm sure none of you ever did that, but I do. I like intelligent conversations. So I talk to myself frequently. But it's okay, it's a biblical thing. Look at this, Psalm 42, verse 5. The psalmist is talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And you know, sometimes we need to give ourselves a talking to. Say, what is your problem? Right? Really? I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that you might say to a friend who's feeling kind of, you know, a little downhearted. You would say, hey, hey, don't be discouraged. Don't be downhearted. Just trust God because God's going to bring you through. Right? And we'd say that to our friends. But to ourselves, we say, well, God's forgotten about me. God's left me. I'm done. And sometimes we need to talk to ourselves and say, get your, you know, get your act together. Put your hope in God. The God of hope fill you with all joy and with peace. All joy and peace. Life is never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But the God of hope fills us with all joy and with peace. Philippians 4 verse 7 says this, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God will fill you with joy and with peace, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. The outcome of hope is peace and is joy. And then the third thing that I want to point out from Romans 15, 13 is the, it talks about the overflow of hope. So Paul says, I'm praying for you that God will fill you with hope. Sorry, the God of hope will fill you. Let's read it properly. Romans 15 and verse 13. Okay, let's try it with the words. Okay, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Okay, so now we're coming on to this, the, the outcome of the overflow of our hope, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may overflow with hope. May God fill you with all joy, all peace, so that you overflow then with hope. Romans 5 verse 5 says this, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. The message paraphrases that verse this way. It speaks about being in alert expectancy such as this, and we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. I like that. We can't round up enough containers to contain everything that God generously pours into our lives by the Holy Spirit. When God gives us his joy and when God gives us his peace and the blessings that God pours in our, into our lives, God gives so generously that we can't fully contain all that God gives to us. John 1 verse 16 says this. It says, we all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. Now, the Bible says that God gives to everyone generously. And some of you would agree with that, right? 
Well, that's great. Fantastic. Four people. That's good. Okay, so word to those of you with a stingy God. Uh, he does, right? God gives to us, God, God gives to us generously. That's the way God is. You know, the, the, in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, you know, if you give, it will be given to you and you will receive. And you'll receive a full measure that overflows. That's what he says. There was one Christmas when our, our grandson, Jace, was, um, was quite young. And um, we were together, all of us, uh, on Christmas morning and we were doing gifts. And you know how it is sometimes... Nowadays, anyway, with kids, it's like the kids get, so they get a gift and they open it up and it's like, ooh, ooh, ah, wonderful, this is what I wanted, it's great. You know, and they start unwrapping and say, no, wait a minute, we got another one. And then they get another one and it's like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. And they start, no, wait a minute. And, and he actually got to a point where he said, can we stop now? Because <laughs> he wanted to get into what he got. When I was a kid, you got about one thing, and that was it. But life's different nowadays. He had so much stuff, he said, no, 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 that's enough. And that's how God is. God gives generously. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So, Here's, here's a little visual of that. Um, I'm going to be driving the camera crazy just now. I'm sorry. I'm coming back. So here's, a little, here's the thing. So, so the God of hope, excuse me, I'll take some first. Okay, so, so may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That, trust me, is full. You might not, you can't see it from where you are. That's full, right? Right? Yeah, you can see I'm losing bits of it, right? So may, so may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. But God gives generously so that you may overflow. So actually, God, don't worry that you're full up. Because God's plan is not that you get filled up. God's plan is that you overflow. This could turn bad any minute. See, God's plan is that you overflow. And, and you know the reason? So, so why God wants us to, fills us with joy and fills us with peace? So that then there are others that are around us who are dry, who are empty, and who have nothing. And actually, you know what they get? They get to know something about God and enjoy something of the blessing of God from you and me. In fact, if we tip out plenty of what we've got, the fact is there's more in God. But water costs money, so I'm not using it, but you get the point. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in a world that doesn't have a lot of hope. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of messed up lives and messed up families. And how do we best influence them for Jesus? You know what you don't need to do? You don't need to shove the Bible at them. You know the best thing to do? 
be you as a child of God and see what God does with that. Be connected with God. Be well connected with God. In, in my rebellious teenage years, I've settled down, of course, since, but in my rebellious teenage years, we used to kid around a lot. In, I, spent, I spent all my teens in church. I think every night of the week, and I hung out. So we were, you know, and, and, and one of the, one, we heard a phrase somewhere that we used to use jokingly. And uh, we, heard, we, we heard some preacher say, what you really need to do is you need to get under the spout where the glory comes out. And we'd like listen to that and say, oh, yeah, okay. And we kind of jokingly, you know, mockingly say that. But you know what? We do need to get ourselves and to live in the place where we are receiving God's joy and God's peace and where it's coming to us all peace, all joy, so that then we overflow. That just overflows from us. The joy that's in us radiates to others. The peace that's in us makes an impact upon other people. And you know what? Without us necessarily having said a word, they're beginning to see that there's something very different about who we are and about how we are. And when God is, fills us with his joy and his peace, others around us are impacted by the overflow. Now, you may be here today and joy and peace are something that's in short supply in your life just now. Hope may be something that's vanished or been dashed for you. And my encouragement to you today is to just open up your heart to the God of hope and say, God, will you fill me afresh today with your joy and with your peace my encouragement to you is to do that day after day after day after day. God, fill me with your joy. God, fill me with your peace so that then we will overflow and impact those around us. Amen.